Well, we're continuing on in our series, Don't Waste Your Dot Dot Dot, and this week we're looking at the topic of Don't Waste Your Freedom. And really for us uh, here in Sydney, we enjoy so many freedoms, don't we? We have so many freedoms. I mean, things like healthcare. You know, you don't need to worry if, uh, if you don't have any money, if you get sick, uh, because we have public healthcare. Things like housing. I mean, no one here has to worry about being homeless. We have also public housing, and no one here has to worry about things like uh, going hungry or starvation because we have social security and we have multiple charities that are there to help us. We enjoy so many freedoms. And I think for most of us, we could live wherever we want, eat whatever we want, uh, drink whatever we want, travel wherever we want, pretty much whenever we want, worship wherever we want with absolute freedom. Yet for most of us actually, I think we take that freedom that we have for granted. I was just mindful this week in the papers it's all been about Boko Haram, which is a, a terrorist group in uh, North Nigeria. It hasn't really made the headlines much at all uh, around the world, but just talking about how this past year in North Nigeria, they've murdered 2,848 Christians just this past year and attacked 108 churches. Isn't that horrendous? These people live in fear about worship. They don't have the same freedoms that we enjoy. But we're looking at something today a bit more than just freedoms that we have. There is this special kind of freedom that we have that we enjoy as Christians. And really this morning, I want us to see really the incredible opportunity we have in our freedom. So we're going to be looking this morning at 1 Corinthians. Uh, We're actually going to be covering three chapters of 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to read them all out for you right this morning so you can do it silently. Why don't you open your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 31. You know, friends, this is the time where, where though we've heard many voices from the world, from our friends, all sorts of voices speaking into our lives this week, this is the moment where we come and we hear God speaking to us. So I'm going to read these words and then pray and ask for his help. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before you and bow our knees before your word. Lord, this morning we We want to hear, Lord, and we want to hear from you. So I ask, Lord, would you cast aside every distraction? Would you cast aside every anxiety, every worry? And in this moment, Lord, help us to hear from you. We ask this, Lord, with confidence through the power of your Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Well, friends, we live in a culture that loves freedom. Uh, it's been embedded in things like our films. A recent film I saw was an amazing film, uh, 12 Years a Slave, about the injustice of this guy who's a free man, uh, captured, forced into slavery, suffers incredible justice in his, his strife for freedom. Films like uh, the Nelson Mandela story. We love a great story about his freedom, how he fought uh, against imprisonment for 27 years and the injustices of apartheid South Africa. We, we all are familiar with that, that famous cry of Mel Gibson in Brave Heart, freedom, as he runs you know, towards the English uh, army, invading army. We, we live in a culture that loves freedom. I mean, we even, we even uh, embed it in pop songs and even name stores, uh, things like Freedom Furniture. Um, we love freedom. There's something awesome about freedom. But I put to you that the meaning of freedom for us as a culture has really over the years changed. You know, this, this uh, past week I was reading some uh, speeches by Winston Churchill during the Second World War, and the thing that really stuck out to me is, is what freedom was uh, only 60 years ago. You know, in the Second World War, the freedom that they were fighting for was this idea of freedom from uh, tyranny and injustice. It, it, was, it was all about governments being accountable to their people to keep the rule of law. That's what freedom was. It was freedom from tyranny, from evil, from oppression and injustice. But I think when we think of freedom, that's not really the terms we think of. Um, when we think of freedom, we, we, we think more of personal liberties. We think of my freedom to be me, to, to, to live how I want. You know, our culture, for the most part, equates freedom with individualism. I mean, we live in the I generation, don't we? In my generation, for all of you guys that are, were born in 1985 or later, we're, we're the generation Y or the millennials, the I generation. And this whole idea of that you're free to, to be whoever you want to believe, whatever you want to live, however you want to do, whatever you want, whenever you want, it's all about you. You know, Gen Y, we're the, we're the options generation, iGen. You know, we want our work to be interesting. We want travel to be frequent. We want entertainment to be multi-platform. Um, we're the first generation, I believe, that's added 4G internet access to our list of basic human rights. Um, we're the options generation. We're the first generation that, that has invented the RSVP of maybe or until I get a better option. option. We are the options Generation. We are an individualistic society. One commentator in an article I read this week uh, in the New York Times, uh, Ross Duthat, he puts humorously, he says, in the future it seems there will be only one ism, individualism, and its rule will never end. As for religion, it shall decline. As for marriage, it shall be postponed. As for ideologies, they shall be rejected. As for patriotism, it shall be abandoned. As for strangers, they shall be distrusted. Only pot, selfies, and Facebook will abide, and the greatest of these will probably be, uh, be Facebook. Now, obviously, he's trying to be funny, and I don't know what you mean. Uh, think of that, but the point is the same. It's, it's this individualistic culture. Our culture thinks of freedom as my right to live as I please. But the Bible portrays the freedom of the Christian as something entirely different to that, and that's what we want to look at today. In our main passage today, Paul is really, he's addressing Christians who are really confused about, about freedom. They, they know that they have some sort of freedom in Christ. 
but they're confused about what that freedom is and, and how to use it in a way that glorifies God. So this morning, uh, our message, as you know, is entitled, Don't Waste Your Freedom. And I have three real points for those that are taking notes this morning. Three points, and, and they are freedom defined, freedom displayed, and freedom directed. Freedom defined, displayed, and directed. But one hope for us as a church, and that's that we wouldn't waste our freedom, but we'd use it to love other Christians and win the loss. My prayer for us is that we, we, we wouldn't waste our freedom, this incredible freedom that God's given us, but we'd really use it. Glorify God by loving other Christians and winning the lost. So, that's where we're headed. Let's get stuck in. Point one, freedom defined. Well, what do we mean by Christian freedom? What's that all about? Well, the writer of the Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. He says, Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death was subject to lifelong slavery. The writer of the Hebrews paints this picture of us being in lifelong slavery and living in fear, in the end facing death. And it's such an awesome passage because it speaks of God sending His Son, making His Son flesh so that the eternal God Himself could die, but not die in a purposeless way, die for us in order to pay the ransom price that was set before us and free us from captivity to the devil. That is the great enemy, our great enemy, Satan himself. But I think our culture, then as Christians in in our culture, in individualistic society, we think, all right, we're free, we've been set free. The chains are gone, we're set free, so set free to what? I guess it means uh, set free to live for me to live in any way I want, to be me and do whatever I want. I mean, I'm sure you've heard people uh, ask before, well, isn't if it's all grace, I mean, isn't the gospel of grace, doesn't mean that I can live however I want, I can do anything I want. We're so affected by our culture, we, we can begin to assume that Christian freedom means we can do whatever we want, whatever we want, because it's all grace, baby, yeah. Well, the Bible tells us something very different. You know, in Romans uh, chapter 6, Paul has been talking about how Jesus' death uh, led to justification and righteousness for all men. And then the obvious question comes up, that same question that people ask Paul, and that question comes up and is, shouldn't we just then sin even more that grace might abound? Like, if it's all about grace and what Christ has done, shouldn't we just... Shouldn't we, shouldn't, we, shouldn't we just live however we want? And Paul says, absolutely not. No, don't you understand? He says in Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, he says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul says, of course not. You've been set free from that. You've been brought from death in bondage to sin to life in Christ. So you go back and sin even more? It's crazy. You've been saved from that. 
Paul talks about us being made alive together with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace we've been saved and raised up with him and and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus You know, friends, Christian freedom is more than just escaping the consequences of sin. It's about being taken from one kingdom to another. It's about adoption. It's about being taken from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From sin and death to life, from flesh to the spirit, from the devil to the son. It's about complete change of kingdom. Imagine with me a victorious king invading a city. And imagine with me that you are in prison in the deepest dungeon, bound in chains. And that victorious king rides into the city, conquering the city, and he descends down into the prison, and he breaks your chains. And he says to you, come and join me in my new kingdom. More than that, come and join me in my family as my child. That is what Christian freedom is. You know, I was thinking this week about the Taylors and as many of you know, they've adopted these two uh, sprightly, I guess it's a good way to describe them, uh, children, four and two and Liam and Savannah. And, and freedom for those kids they were in a family where they were uh, horribly abused and neglected, so much so that the government had to take them away from their mother in order to protect them. Now just imagine if you went to free these children and you came into the house, you took the children away from their parents and you said, okay children, off you go into the world by yourself. You're free. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that was part of the problem, this neglect. No, freedom for those children is to be taken into a family where they can be loved and cherished and nourished, where they can grow to know and love Christ. That is freedom, and that is a picture of our freedom. It's transference from one kingdom to another. It's adoption into the very family of God. That is Christian freedom. As Martin Luther famously said, he said, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. We are both Lord and servant. We are both free and in the service of a new Lord, our Lord. Fully free from slavery to dead works and sin, fully called to serve God's as God's servant in his kingdom. Well, Christian freedom is not about our rights or our independence, and it's more than just escaping from the consequences of sin. It's about being taken from one kingdom to another. That's point one. Freedom defined. Well, two, freedom displayed. 
we now turn to our passage that we have before us, which where Paul is really, he's laying out some guidelines from us. It's really the summary of the past three chapters, 8 through to 10. In these chapters, he's been really trying to help the Corinthian church, as I mentioned earlier, to know how to use the freedom they have in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at now. Why don't you turn with me and read those uh, first couple of verses again. 1 Corinthians 10.31 He says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Paul here is laying out some guidelines for us as Christians about how to live and enjoy the freedom we have in Christ. And he really summarizes it up here for us. He says, firstly, in verse 31, he says, I do all for the glory of God. That's what I'm about, all for the glory of God. I'm all about kingdom living. I'm all about using every single moment in my life as an opportunity to glorify God. That's his encouragement. Now, secondly, he says, don't upset those outside the church or those inside the church. Don't upset Jews and, and, and Greeks or Jews and pagans or those inside the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But rather, in verse 33, follow my example and, and seek the, the needs of other people. Well, that's where we want to pause here as we look at Paul's example of how he went about using his freedom. And to do that, I want you to turn back to chapter 9, and I want to read from verse 1 as we really get insight into the way Paul wanted to practice his freedom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If, other, if to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are my seal, the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? You know, Paul was all about giving up his rights. His apostolic rights to honour and support. His rights to eat and drink whatever he pleases. His, his, his rights to even having a partner, having a, having a wife. His rights to pay and taking work, hard manual work of tent making for his profession. I think we skip over that point too quickly. You know, in Paul's culture, a rabbi was a revered teacher. That was a high position in society. Tent making, hard manual labour was a filthy job. That was the work of slaves. And Paul took it upon himself to work and support himself as a tent maker that he wouldn't be a burden upon the Corinthians and that no one could accuse him of having a vested interest in the gospel he preaches. He laid down his rights. He set aside any obstacle that he could think of to the gospel. That's massive, Paul's example for us. And so he says in verse 12, he says this, he says, Nevertheless, we have, made, we have not made use of this right, 
But we endure anything. We endure anything. Say that again. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Huge. Paul would rather endure absolutely anything than present an obstacle to someone hearing and receiving the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Well, where does he get all this from? Where does he get such a radical way of looking at his freedom, his rights? And the answer is, in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitated of me as I am of Christ. Friends, Christ, Jesus Christ, is our great example of the way in which we are called to use our freedoms as Christians. Jesus Christ is the great example, and Paul is calling others to imitate him as he imitates one greater than him, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, that is, to be used to his own advantage, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on Friends, the cross is the greatest demonstration of the use of Christian freedom. For our Lord Jesus had every freedom possible. He was the maker and creator, the sustainer of the world, the one through whom all things were made and for whom all things were made, the one who, through whom all things hang together. And as he hung on the cross, he used his freedom not for his own advantage, but for the advantage of others. He used his freedom to buy our freedom. He laid down his rights, his freedom, in order that we might find true freedom in him. See, friends, Christian freedom is most clearly displayed at the cross where the Son of God gives up his freedom to purchase ours. That's our second point, freedom display. Well, our final point this morning, freedom directed. Paul doesn't just display Christian freedom in his own practice. He's, he's also giving us guidelines about, about how we should exercise our freedom. And he really gives us two main directions, two main, two main ways in which, two main opportunities we have as Christians to use our freedom. Our first opportunity that we see in, in 1 Corinthians is really to, to love other Christians. This is his main topic of discussion in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He addresses the church in, in Corinth with a practical example. Paul uh, was uh, writing to the Corinthians who were living in Corinth, which was a big trade city. It was a big trade city and a, and a city that was really full of idols and idol worship, where meat would often be offered to idols before it's sold in the markets or before it's then used. 
And the Corinthians are writing to Paul and they're saying, look, Paul, we know that you know, the gods and the idols that we see around us, they're nothing, right? And, and so the meat that's offered to that because there's only one true God who's God over all, it doesn't really mean anything and therefore no big deal, right? So we could just eat meat that's offered to idols and that's not a problem at all. Like, who cares? Well, who cares where the meat's been offered or place? It's just meat. There's only one God, it's just meat. And Paul replies with an example, a practical example about how to use freedom in love. Paul says, just imagine with me a guy who, who's a new Christian. He was a pagan and he was really devoted to idols and idol worship. But he's become a Christian. And he doesn't know what you know about God and about idols because he's a new Christian. Now he's going to think that you guys are worshipping idols as Christians. And you're going to lead him back to worship idols and destroy his faith. Read with me what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 through 12. Paul says, and he's so harsh here, he says, And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Paul says, this brother who you're sinning against is precious. This is a brother or sister for whom Christ himself died on the cross. And not only do you sin, therefore, against this brother or sister in Christ of yours, but you sin against Jesus Christ himself with your lack of concern. And as if that was enough, Paul goes on in verse 30 and he says this, this is huge. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. He says, I will, it's the emphatic negative. It's the strongest way you can say no in Greek. He says, in effect, I will never, ever, ever. And in fact, in the Greek, as if that wasn't strong enough, they cut it out in English. He says, to infinity, eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. I will never lead my brother to stumble. If there's any way that I can use my freedom to stop my brother from stumbling, to stop my brother's, it's literally downfall, leading to fall away from the faith, surely I will do that. I will never, ever do something that would somehow stand in the way of someone and the gospel of Christ. I will use my freedom to love other Christians. He summarizes it uh, just over a page in chapter 10, verse 23. He says, Paul says, in summary of his teaching about freedom towards others, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. We're to use our freedom to love others. Paul is determined use his freedom to love other Christians. I want to pause there and just ask us a question. And that is, I just want you to consider this question. That is, am I using, currently using any of my freedoms in a way that is unloving towards others? You know, we have so many 
freedom. So many things that, as Christians, the Bible doesn't speak to or gives us freedom in. Things like country music. Um, you know, uh, prior to meeting Jesse Fan, I believed it was sinful to play country music in the presence of others. It, apparently, it's a freedom. We have freedom as Christians to, live to all, uh, listen to all sorts of music, like uh, heavy metal, hip hop. The Bible doesn't speak to what sort of music we're allowed to listen to. Like modesty. What's too short for shorts, or too tight for jeans, or too low for tops? And that's just for the guys. We've got freedom. Freedom in what we uh, should wear, about what constitutes modesty. Freedom in terms of dating. The Bible doesn't speak to things like internet dating, speed dating, uh, asking parental permission or not long-time dating, short-time dating. Parenting styles. Hands-on, hands-off, bottle or, or breastfed. Healthcare, immunization, not immunization. Alternative, mainstream, private, public, insured, uninsured, smoking, non-smoking. The Bible doesn't say. Schooling, private, public, Christian, Catholic, homeschooling. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, Google Hangouts, Instagram, LinkedIn, non-media. Diet, drinking, non-drinking, sugar-free, sugar-based, vegan, vegetarian, meat-loving, unprocessed, only processed. The Bible doesn't say we've got freedom as Christians. Freedoms that we are called to enjoy, but we must make sure that our freedoms are expressed in love. You know, just a, well, a sharp reminder, this past year, most of you know, we were uh, so blessed and we had a great wedding and we were kind of privileged to get uh, married with the whole church and, and it was such a special time for us. But one of the things that we've made a decision not to do uh, throughout our time of dating and up until now is just to avoid uh, putting too many photos and uh, lovey-dovey messages on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about. There's some couples and it's like, oh, I love you, love you, love you, love you. You're the greatest, greatest, most handsome, greatest lover ever, lover, lover. And then pictures and, and just constantly up. We, we all know people that, that do that. And I just, we just, we just be mindful that there's a lot of single ladies in our church. And I remember it's not that long ago that I was single and, and it kind of was really kind of hurtful because it's like those messages remind you that you're single and and that you know you don't have someone particular around something Valentine's Day and and so for us uh, we just made a decision that that's just not something we're going to do. But regardless of what our practice specifically is, uh, for us as Christians, the call is just to be always thinking in love, always mindful of how we're using our freedoms, whatever way we may feel convicted. To do it in love towards other brothers and sisters. We need to ensure, friends, that our greatest passion must be God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ, not our freedoms. You know, freedoms must never be fundamental to our faith, but instrumental. You know, if we love our freedoms more than our Saviour, we're worshipping God for what we get from God rather than God Himself. And friends, that's idolatry. Paul is teaching us that our freedoms, rather than fundamental to our faith, are opportunities. Opportunities to glorify God. Not idols to worship, but instruments to love other Christians. And not only to love other Christians, but our second point, also to win the loss. You know, we have a great opportunity with our freedoms to win the loss to Christ. And Paul gives some practical examples in chapter 10, he says, well, here's a practical example. Imagine you're going to the meat market and you're buying meat. Who 
even worry about it. Just just go to the local you know meat supermarket stand thing in, in the village and just go for it. Buy meat. Don't ask any questions. But here's another example Paul says in chapter 10. He says, well, if someone invites you into their home and they're not a believer, that's something a little bit different. If they invite you into their home and they're not a believer and they serve you meat and they say nothing at all, just go for it. Not a, not a, not a problem at all. Don't raise any questions. But if an unbeliever invites you into their home and they serve you meat and they say, oh, by the way, mate, that's been offered to an idol. That tells you something about what that unbeliever believes about idols and about that meat. That tells you that that unbeliever believes that it is significant to them that this meat has been offered to an idol. And in that moment, they're questioning your allegiance. And Paul says because of that, if someone raises that this meat has been offered to an idol, make sure that your allegiance is clearly to Christ and refuse the meat. Not because it matters that the, the meat has been offered to an idol, but for the sake of demonstrating to others your allegiance first to Christ. Refuse the meat. That is such an example of using the freedoms that we have winsomely in a way to, to win others. Show your loyalty is to Christ. You know, for Paul, he was willing to, willing to do absolutely anything to win the lost. See, what he says in our passage, he says in, in 1031, he says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Why? That they may be saved. He was all about using his freedoms to save others, to see others come to know and treasure and love Christ. He says it so well in, in chapter 9, verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant, literally a slave to all, that I might win more of them. Paul says, I am, I am free completely from everyone, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people coming to know and love Christ, that I might win them, I've made myself a slave. He says that, that I might win them in the coming passage five times. That I might win Jews. That I might win those under the law. That's proselytes. That's people that have become Jews, that are not born as Jews, but have adopted the Jewish faith. Those outside the law, pagans, I've become like pagans. To the weak, I've become like the weak, he says. Show me the person, Paul says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to use my freedom to win them to Christ. You know, we had a, a, a recent um, example that came to mind uh, just this week <laughs> as I was preparing for this message. And we're lying in bed uh, at night in our flat. We've got this uh, really cute little uh, unit in Waitara that we've been so blessed to have to be living in. And, um, and we're lying down getting ready to go to bed. And then suddenly it's just like the smell of smoke coming in through the window and it's filling up the room and it's getting more and more smoky. I'm getting more and more mad. And so I just took it upon myself to go out there and try and find this person who's smoking. And I saw the, uh, the next door neighbor quickly close the door and head back inside. And, um, you know, I was thinking I was stewing over it. And then we found out the next morning that it's actually now illegal to smoke on your balcony against the law in Boston units, the new, uh, new South Wales law. I was thinking to myself, I'm going to dob this person in. You know, I'm going to tell the building manager that my next door neighbor is smoking. And then I just paused and thought about it for a moment and just realized we're trying to win our next door neighbors to Christ. We're trying to, like, 
get to know our next door neighbors so that we can share the gospel with them, lead them to Christ. Yet, if I become known as the guy who dogged this person into strata that he's been breaking the law, like, that's my freedom. I've got a right to do that. But that's, just, that's an obstacle to the gospel. So I thought to myself, even though I hated doing it and, you know, this person continues to smoke, I'm going to lay down all right for the sake of the gospel. Because I'm more bothered about that person not to know Christ than I am about a little bit of smoke, passive smoking in my bedroom. Um, so I just wanted to uh, pause and, and uh, ask us another question. And that is, am I currently using any of my freedoms in a way that is presenting a barrier to the gospel for an unbeliever? Are we using our freedoms in a way that in any way is presenting a barrier to other people coming to meet Jesus? Um, I think there's something that I'd encourage you guys to be thinking about this week. It's not it's something that I need to think about a lot more. Because it's also something that requires discernment. A classic example is the issue of drinking and drinking in groups. It really does require discernment. For some non-Christians, looking at Christians drinking lots, uh, multiple drinks at a time, is, is an issue that causes them to think, well, is there any real difference from us? But sometimes it can have the reverse effect as well. I remember one time um, uh, being with some friends from uni, and one of my friends, she'd had just enough drink where you kind of lose that you know, ability to rein in the overshare. You, know, you start really sharing things that you shouldn't normally share. Inhibition, that's the word. And, um, and she just starts sharing with me. She's like, you never drink with us. You never drink when you're with us. It's like you think you're better than us. I just thought, oh, that's really interesting that that is how this girl perceived me when I was around my friends. I've been trying to avoid drinking with them just to set a good example for us to see the reverse. We need to be always mindful of obstacles that we might be creating for people to the gospel and using our discernment about how to best exercise our Christian freedom in a way that glorifies the Lord. The point is, Paul sees his freedom as an opportunity to glorify God by winning the lost. Well defined, Christian freedom doesn't mean living for me, but being adopted into God's family and living for him. Displayed, Paul calls us to follow his example in using his freedom as he follows Christ's example. And directed, Paul exhorts us to use our freedom to love our neighbours and win the lost. Friends, in Sydney, we have so many freedoms and therefore so many opportunities to use our freedoms to God's glory. My hope and prayer for us is that we wouldn't waste our freedoms, but we would use them to love other Christians and win the lost. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful this morning for your gospel of grace. The great news that Though we were your enemies, you sent your son to die a horrific death for us on that cross. That we might come to be free as part of your family. Lord, what an amazing gift. We can never repay you for, but only praise you for. Lord, this morning I pray for us as a church uh, as we seek the difficult task of using our freedoms for your glory. Lord, it is something that we can't do by ourselves. We need your help. So Lord, I pray this morning that you grant us the wisdom of your spirit, Lord. Give us a wisdom that comes from you that we might glorify you 
with our friends, that we might love our Krishnas, our brothers and sisters for whom we die, and that we might win the lost here in the sea. Praise and do the same.